This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Aloha, everybody. I'm so glad you're here to watch the Wall Street Coach Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Please give us comments and tell us who and whom you'd like me to focus on. Last but not least, I really want to encourage you to subscribe to my newsletter, which is called Curtain Call. That's a play on my last name. My last name is spelled without an A. So I call my weekly newsletter Curtain Call, and I focus on topics that will matter to you, traders, investors, and or entrepreneurs or executives who are looking to up-level their self-awareness. It's going to be a short question-based email where I pose really powerful coaching questions that help you kind of coach yourself. So if you're not subscribed to Curtain Call, follow the link that we have in the liner notes here and sign up with the thousands that already are. I really look forward to seeing you on that newsletter. Enjoy this interview. Aloha, everybody. Welcome back to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. My name is Kim Ann Curtin, and I am very excited today to have Stephen Kress, who is the head of Quantitative Strategies for Seeking Alpha. Welcome, Stephen, to my podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. Pleasure to be here. It's really a pleasure. I wore orange in honor of Seeking Alpha to just make sure you're all coordinated. Terrific. Great. <laughs> Well, it'll blend nicely with our site. <laughs> yes. Yes. I wanted to do that. I wanted to do that. All right. So I want to give you guys just a little background about Stephen. I got to meet Stephen a few weeks ago. He walked me through the Seeking Alpha website. I thought it was incredible. And I was so impressed that I invited him to come on this podcast because I believe that what he and Seeking Alpha do is going to save a lot of the traders and investors who listen to us time and energy. So let me give you his formal background, just so you have it, Seeking Alpha, which he is in charge of that head of quantitative strategies, is the world's largest investing community. It's really powered by wisdom and diversity of crowdsourcing, and the quant rating system was developed by Steve. Seeking Alpha has amassed more than 17 million users per month with access to breaking news, charts, analysis, advanced tools. And because this has always been a center stage for Steve's focus of all of his career, he really feels that this platform now allows investors the ability to make informed decisions on their investments without spending extensive amounts of time researching. Do you think when you first started in this business, Stephen, you realized the direction or thought like you would ever be in this position to have sold your brilliance to Seeking Alpha? You know, it's interesting you say that because uh, I've been in this business for so long. Quantitative strategies and the word quant was at its complete infancy. But when I started, I was an investment research analyst. And uh, I remember thinking back that it was just an incredibly time consuming way to try to assess stocks. Literally like reading annual reports, you didn't have APIs that were like streaming data in. You didn't really even have data available. They were just starting with like 
distributing floppy disk from Faxit that had basically annual reports on the floppy disk. And you know, the huge benefit was that you can go from company to company on the floppy disk, but you couldn't compare anything. So it was really a laborious process when I started. And I really think at some point, I was just saying to myself, you know, there has to be an easier, better way to do this. So when I was able to start accessing screens and getting data on screens, or I had to create the screens really, it was just really, you know, downloading a lot of data and creating the screen yourself. It just started becoming easier and easier and easier to collect information. But my mindset was to make it as easy as possible. I don't know, perhaps because I felt like I was lazy. I was just trying to make it easy. And I needed an easier way to uh, assess companies than just doing one stock at a time. Yeah. You know, I think time is just the most precious commodity any of us have. And because there is so much data, and I think that intimidates especially newer traders, newer investors, where it just can become like completely paralyzing because where do they need to look first? Tell us just a little bit about Seeking Alpha, how it even got started, and when you came into the mix to bring your particular methodology to it. Yeah, so uh, Seeking Alpha is, it was founded by David Jackson. So interesting enough, David and I used to work at Morgan Stanley with each other. He was in the equity research department as an analyst covering the telecom equipment sector. And I worked on the trading floor as a trader. And we yeah, only vaguely knew of each other at the time. We crossed paths occasionally. But after Morgan Stanley, David created Seeking Alpha. And it was really sort of a site that he hosted and started bringing in the opinions of buy-side analysts. And it really provided sort of a platform where buy-side analysts could put their opinions and their recommendations onto the platform. And it then became sort of a crowdsourced arena for investment research, where if you were to go to Morgan Stanley, you would have just been getting, you know, an auto analyst recommendation or the telecom equipment analyst recommendation on the platform that David created with Seeking Alpha, you were able to have numerous people covering the same stocks in the same sector, put forward their opinions. So it really became a hub for crowdsource investment research. And then they started to include news onto the platform as well. About four years ago, I started my own company, which was Crestcap Investment Research. And this was sort of on the back of a hedge fund that I had founded and started as well, which was in quantitative strategies. And when I had developed the hedge fund, uh, again, I wanted sort of an easier process to bring forward the data that I wanted to, which would just filter to the, the stocks, ultimately to create a portfolio of 30 stocks out of 8,000 stocks globally. And as I developed that process and made headway, I really thought, wow, this would be a terrific tool for everyday individual to be able to just put the name of a company in and get a fresh directional recommendation in that it would be a buy or a sell or a hold based on the data that we brought in. And what we do with, it, with the hedge fund and with Crestcap Investment Research, at the end of the day, it's still fundamental investment research analysts. And we're looking at the common metrics for a company. We're looking at value. We're looking at growth. We're looking at profitability. And we're taking the metrics for a company 
and we're comparing those absolute metrics to the sector. So we then develop a, a relative score. So when you're looking at that metric, and we do that in the form of an academic letter grade, is it an A, is it a B, is it a C? So when you see that academic letter grade for PE or for revenue growth or for price to book, you immediately have an instant characterization of how that metric compares to the rest of the sector. So I had developed it through a process called Z-scores, but even as a quant, when you're looking at Z-scores and looking at data, you're ready to put a bullet in your head at the end of the day because you're looking at so much data. So even then, I wanted to develop something that was like kind of color-coded and just gave me a much more instant picture of where that data point was versus the sector per company. So I created a platform for it. And uh, after about two years of working on this platform and getting the technology up and running and getting it past a proof of concept, it was up and running for a couple months. And I reached out to David because I thought it would be a really cool platform. And then when I realized fully what he had created at Seeking Alpha, it just seemed like it would be an incredible marriage. Having the qualitative content combined with the quantitative content, content of the news, all in one platform. And that's what we set out to do. And it really is an amazing platform. I'm often, you know, asked how, you know, is what we have different than a Bloomberg or Backset or Reuters. And it really is quite different. We have the absolute data that would be on those platforms, but what we do at Seeking Alpha, which is really unique to us, is that we interpret those data points for people. So whether you're looking, you're bringing forward the cash flow, the income statements, the balance sheets, and then you try to put it into financial metrics and ratios, we actually interpret that data. So if you're a trader or an investor or a portfolio manager, when you're looking at a company, you immediately get a sense of how that company ranks compared to the rest of its sector. And you could do that on a Bloomberg or a Reuters, but you have to build it out yourself. So it's an immensely time-consuming, complex process. And what we've done at CK Alpha is we've performed that process and we've created the software so it's readily available for people. And it truly is a very unique platform. It's really, it's what, part of what was so impressive to me when you walked me through it. What I thought would be great is for our viewers and, you know, some will be listeners to let you share your screen and really sure. give at least general big picture insight into what's available to us. We have traders and investors who listen to us, but I want them to see it in action. So thank you for walking us through what it looks like in real time. Sure. And can you see my screen now, Kim? I can. It's perfect. All right. Terrific. So I've actually come to a stock page that I had open. Uh, I could tell you that when people like first come in, they might come into what would be the main dashboard. And in addition to the news that we get, my apologies, the one time I didn't put it on mute. <laughs> Sorry about that. Of course, it was a scam phone call coming in as well. <laughs> Uh, always the case, right? <laughs> yeah, always the case. So why do they always find me? So, <laughs> so this is our main dashboard. Okay. And people would come to this immediately when they bring up the site. And I had mentioned that we provide news, but we also have many contributors, thousands of contributors that write articles. And our customers are interested in seeing what stories are trending. So whether it's uh, our contributors or news, we display this running headline of what the trending news stories are or the trending research that's out there. 
typically people might be interested in a, a specific stock. Yeah. So um, you could really put, you know, any name in almost all U.S. stocks and it will come up. You know, I was looking at Tesla. So if I just put it in like T-S-L-A, it'll come up. Or you could just put in the name T-E-L-S-A and it'll bring up the uh, ticker symbol as well or start showing more results. So this is going to bring you to what's called our stock page or a symbol page. And, you know, there are other vendors that you would come to and you would put the name of a company in and you see it come up like this as well. But really what we do, as I mentioned before, this is an incredible marriage in that it's bringing the quantitative research, which you see this analysis over here on the left-hand side. So these are people who are either experts in the industry or analysts or have been in these industries themselves and they write research and they post it on Seeking Alpha. So today we've had two people write research on Tesla. You can see there was one, two, three yesterday. Tesla's a big name, uh, so it gets written up all the time. And you'll also see by their name what their recommendation is. Is it a buy? Is it a sell? Is it a strong sell? So we don't have a house analyst that covers these stocks. Right. These are, again, this is sort of crowdsourced research. And if you look on the right-hand side, you can see the SA analysts have a hold. So really that's the consensus of all the opinions of the CK Alpha contributors that cover the stock. It would be a hold recommendation. You can see Wall Street, we post the consensus there and that's a buy. And then underneath you can see the quant. And uh, for quant, we have a hold on Tesla as well. So the quant research and data is refreshed every single day. So in theory, you could come in tomorrow and see that Tesla could be a buy or it could be a sell. And that would be based on these factor grades that get refreshed every single day. So this is where I was referring to, you get sort of that instant characterization of how Tesla in this case would compare to the rest of the consumer discretionary industry and the automotive sector. So you can see on a valuation basis, it's an F. So it means that it's really expensive, but you can see on a growth basis, it's got an A minus, so it's got exceptional growth. Again, this is compared to uh, the sector. And as you scroll down, you can see we say where it is in the sector or the industry or where it ranks out of all 4,600 stocks that we cover. So the beauty of this is if you are, you know, if you want to be invested in the automotive sector and you see the ranking is 16 out of 32 and you want to know what the number one is, you just click over here and it will immediately show you a screen of all the stocks in the automobile manufacturing sector and what actually ranks higher than Tesla. So you can see uh, LI Auto and Toyota and Subaru and Honda, uh, quite a few foreign companies that are ranking at the very top of the screens. And you can see that there is just looking at the underlying factor grades, you'll see that they offer good value, they offer strong growth, profitability, momentum, and EPS revisions, which is pretty unique to Seeking Alpha, with that estimate, we're actually looking at the number of analysts that are taking their estimates up or down and comparing it to the sector. So it could show you that for these automotive companies, the analysts are increasing at a higher rate than other automotive companies. And that's why you'll see sort of a, a group of A's for these top ranked stocks in the automotive sector. So we can uh, scroll down and then you'll find Tesla at number 16. If you want to go back to Tesla, you would just click on it and it would bring you back to that page. So really this all just saves you a tremendous amount of time. 
And if you want to know, like for valuation, why do we have that F grade? We will show you what the underlying metrics are. You just click there. And we actually show a ton of valuation metrics. And with those valuation metrics, we show not only that grade, which provides you that relative sector characterization, but we provide the absolute data point as well and what the sector median is. So you can see on a PE basis, it's an F grade, which means it's incredibly expensive. And you'll see the absolute data point that the multiple is 70 times versus the sector at 13 times. So on a PE basis, it's at a 430% premium to the sector. So you get to the idea immediately, you know, without having to do a lot of your own research where it stands on a valuation standpoint against the sector. And again, this is not data that I'm generating. This is data from a third party and we're taking historical data and where we use forward data, we take the consensus from Wall Street analysts. So this is simply comparing what the data metrics are for a company, either on a historical basis or using consensus and comparing it to the rest of the sector. So sometimes people don't like the picture that they see, but that's the picture, that's the true data. And as you can see, this is an incredibly expensive stock. Having said that, if I were to click on growth, you could see how on a growth standpoint, it compares to the rest of the sector. And Tesla really has some phenomenal growth historically and going forward as well. You could see the year-over-year -year growth rate for Tesla was 38%. And then the forward growth is 34%. So when we're looking at the forward growth at 34%, we can see the sector is only at 6%. So it's at a tremendous premium to the rest of the sector in terms of its growth for top line and bottom line as well. If you go down to EPS, the growth rate is just like crushes the rest of the uh, consumer discretionary sector. You can see with that EPS growth of 30% versus 2.4% for the sector. So you can see why it has that A minus grade. And look, you know, being that over the last uh, couple of years, Tesla has really been generating earnings, you can see from a profitability standpoint that it looks, you know, absolutely fantastic on profitability metrics. A couple of years ago, profitability metrics didn't even exist for Tesla. And now it's, you know, really one of the best in the sector and the industry. So Kim, let me pause for questions. I'll, I'll start, stop sharing my screen and we'll see if you have some other questions. You know, I think what's so fascinating, even there was a piece to the right there where you were showing the current kind of interpretation also three months ago and six months ago. So what it feels like to me is that you're just trying to give in one snapshot the ability to see all the different data quickly and in front of you instead of having to go to multiple places. That what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really glad you highlight that because, you know, uh, as sort of a professional analyst, when you're looking at a valuation framework, you really want to compare to other companies. Having said that, you also want to get a sense how this company is doing now versus how it was doing, you know, yeah. either three months ago or six months ago. And we also show five years ago on average. So you can see where the growth rates are or where the PE is or the EV to EBITDA currently versus its five-year historical average. So again, in that snapshot, we're trying to give you an instant characterization of where it is on a relative basis and where it is versus its own absolute history as well. Do you feel seeking alpha is as powerful for day traders who are, you know, really in and out of the market multiple times a day? 
or do you feel it's more set up for investors? Who who is its ideal client? I personally feel that it's set up for for both. Even even as a day trader, you know, if you're entering a position in the morning and you're getting out by the end of the day, there will be news stories that develop. So you have that news that comes in throughout the course of the day. You have people that will write articles and people that write those articles could have an impact on the stock. And you have the quant data, which is refreshed every single day. So in theory, you could leave work, you know, yesterday and that Tesla recommendation could be a hold and you could walk in today and it could be a strong buy. And that rating will change because the data changes every single day. The price of the stock changes every day. And as a result, the valuation framework changes. And really, you know, as a true analyst, you're not only looking at like PE multiple or price to book for valuation, you're looking at how growth compares to the company versus the sector. You're looking at how profitability looks for the company versus the sector. So that is really sort of an all-encompassing holistic way when you're looking at a valuation framework. It's not just those conventional like PE metrics. You're looking at other factors as well, profitability, growth, momentum, EPS revisions, and all that gets refreshed every day. So as a day trader, you certainly want to pay attention to that. Yeah. One of the things you said earlier, you know, when we were looking at Tesla was that sometimes it's hard for investors to see some of these statistics yeah. of the numbers and that it triggers them. Of course, I care so much about the mindset of the traders and investors I work with. So just talk about that when I think we very recently had something in the news where somebody was very much, you know, wanting to just see the positive, even though there was some negative news out there about Tesla. So how does that get in the way, even of data? Like here, you're saying like, this is the data and yet somebody's gonna get mad at it, but this is data. How can you get mad at data? Right. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, no, it's uh, like, it's people get so emotionally tied to stocks, you know, especially if they've done incredibly well or if they've been burnt in a stock, but they feel like there's information out there that the marketplace just hasn't realized and they're waiting to get really emotionally tied to stocks. And I, th I think, you know, when we pull forward the data and you look at it from a quant perspective, we're trying to get people just to assess the data for what it is and how it compares to its sector or its industry. And it removes some of that emotion and it helps you to make a more informed investment decision. And it empowers you by having that data and that knowledge on hand. It really empowers you. But like, you know, there are stocks that we've had a strong buy on this year that are up SMCI, super microcomputer, and the stock is up 200%. And the valuation when I started back in January, it looked pretty good. I think it had like, you know, a B minus valuation. And now the value grade is down to like D plus. So this thing is like sort of teetering on the edge of going from a strong buy to a hold. And that can happen. And then in a couple of days, it may go back to a strong buy again because it's really on the fence of that data point evaluation. And at some point, we have to say the stock just becomes too expensive. Now, being that we provide a lot of different data points under valuation, you could make a justification. You could say, well, okay, your overall grade is a D on it or a D minus. So it may change it to strong buy to hold. But if I look at the underlying data metrics, I could see that peg ratio is an A or a B plus. And for me, that's enough to stay in the stock. But we're providing you with that data 
in order to make that informed decision. And you take a little bit of that, that, of that emotion out of it. Yep. Yep. The taking emotions out of it is of course easier said than done. Can I, I just want to take one step back though. It may take some of the emotion out of it, but it also gives you more confidence in the investment decision that you're making. And in a way, that's a different type of emotion. Having that confidence eliminates fear and anxiety because you have more information at your disposal. So I I say that it takes the emotion out of it, but what it really does is it makes you a more confident individual in the research that you've performed. Yeah. So I wanted to just pause there for a second. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so, I'm so glad you said that because I think it just underlines one of the things I say all the time, you know, if I'm honest, around how emotions are part of being a trader and investor. They aren't the enemy, but the key is to just be noticing because confidence is an emotion and that comes based on reasons to be confident so it's not you know it's not about eradicating your emotions as a trader investor but not being on the leash of them and ultimately data gives you the potential to stand in that confidence i'm going to give a shout out to peter outwater's new book the confidence map which is an incredible book all about the confidence you know kind of process we go through it's a it's a book that's coming out in august and i just finished it it's incredible and he speaks to how you know if we don't have confidence we're not going to be able to take action and it's and it is an emotion but it has to be you know we have to be in tune to the fact that lots of factors impact our confidence or lack thereof information data is one of the biggest pieces of helping us have a foundation under our confidence and that's what it's Sounds yeah, like it's it. earned confidence. It's, you know, and, and the beauty of it is we just provide it all right there. So really almost every metric you need to make that investment decision that would have taken so much work getting it in the past is just readily available right there. Yeah, for sure. We're going to do a part two where we have some questions on Twitter space. So we're going to move over there now. But I just wanted to close with what do you, at least for the video portion of this, what do you feel is, especially for more sophisticated traders and your own journey as a trader and as an investor, what do you feel is one of the most critical ways that you check yourself? Because I, I think it's understandable to get attached to an investment or a trade. What is it that you have used for yourself to check that you are not being perhaps ever driven by your you know, perhaps ego or opinion or, you know, desire. What What is it that you lean in to make sure that never happens, even with your data? Yeah, I'm actually glad that you caught that up because even as a, a quantitative investor, you know, the market gyrations can really get into your head. So whenever you have like huge market pullbacks, you know, or you have incredible fear, whether it be war or interest rates, or you know, debt that's exploding and having a, a negative impact on the market, or it might be having an incredibly positive impact on the market, those market gyrations can really get into your head and cause you to pause. And I think if there was like one superpower that I could give myself, it would be to ignore those market gyrations and stay disciplined and just keep investing throughout that. Again, another scam is coming through. <laughs> 
I wish I could create some software to like avoid these scams on my phone. <laughs> and even when I turn it off, it seems to like ring through on my watch. It's like they. <laughs> but yeah, I think if I had a superpower that I could create, it would be just to ignore the overall market and take with a grain of salt what the talking heads might be saying on CNBC or on Bloomberg, but just stay disciplined and find that process, you know, to keep chipping away. And the beauty of it that you, you learn is when you do have these massive corrections, you thank yourself for investing during those because the return is so tremendous when the market comes back. So true. So, so true. I think that's the, you know, that famous, uh, quote of Buffett's right about like when there's when everybody is afraid like if you can be brave in those moments it's uh it's all going to be beneficial to you at the end yeah it sure is it sure is it's easier said than than done for sure all right so we'll go over to Twitter space I'm looking forward to seeing what the followers on there have to ask and we're going to just talk to just about your thoughts about you know whether we're in a bull market or not if do you feel we're going to see that going into 2024 so we'll take we'll pause here and we'll go over there i'll stop the recording all right welcome everybody to my twitter space with seeking alpha stephen crest i'm really happy to have everybody here we have this officially starting in a couple of minutes so I'm going to give everybody a moment or two to come into the room. Stephen, I can see you're here. Just confirming you. Yeah, I am here. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. So glad. And I know we have Seeking Alpha here. I'm not sure who might be here within their organization. So if you want to let us know, please do. You just have to unmute your mic. Or perhaps you're just here to be a part of it. Hey, Kim, I was just going to let you know, we also have Austin Hankwitz, who is joining us today. He's one of our oh, investing group leaders. Terrific. I'm so glad you're here, Austin. Thanks for coming to this conversation. Really glad that you're here. Thank you so much. And is that the legendary Daniel Snyder I hear behind the Seeking Alpha account right now? It is, but the show's all yours. I'm just here for some. <laughs> ah, my man. Good to hear your voice, dude. Well, damn, I'd love to have you participate too if you're in the mood. So please feel free to chime in. I'm really glad that we're doing this today. We just did a part one podcast with Steve, and now we're coming over here because I think these conversations are always best to be collaborative. My name is Kim M. Curtin, the Wall Street coach. I have the only trading Discord room dedicated to mindset called TraderHeroJourney.com. I host the Wall Street Coach podcast. I do a lot of Twitter spaces and guide a select group of traders and investors on how to secure success with less stress. Very excited to have Stephen here today. Been really impressed with Seeking Alpha website, which I got exposed to recently. So I wanted to do a conversation with him and with all of you so that you can all just get more familiar with what Seeking Alpha has to offer in the hopes that it helps you with your trading and obviously your investing. So we're going to probably just start a little bit about Stephen's background, even though we just did that and that's podcast together. We'll take the first part that you guys coming in for the second part. We're going to weave it all together and that will drop in about two weeks. So keep an eye out for the full thing because you want to hear a lot about what Steve talked about in part one. Stephen got an incredible background of 30 years being in Pinehamp. As a quant expert, he's traveled the world. He's studied and analyzed data and sp spoken with people 
a lot to really identify the trends that make transparent predictions of the course of all kinds of investment strategies. Part of what's fascinating is that he created this quant trading system that Seeking Alpha now uses, which really does, as Aspio says, performs the heavy lifting so investors and traders can save time interpreting the data. So, Steve, I just want to see, you know, one of the things we were just talking about now is how emotional traders and investors can be, even a quant can be, as you spoke about the, you know, gyrations of this market lately. Just speak to how that has happened, how for you over your career, how you have navigated. Do you feel just with experience and you're, you know, getting older over time as we all are? things just start to become more clear. Just talk a little bit more about that because it was such a great conversation when we had to come over here before. But Kim, first, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that you've been able to enjoy the site recently. You know, years and years of work that's gone into just creating this wonderful user experience and getting data to individual investors or traders at their fingertips so quickly. So I really appreciate you having us on and highlighting that. To answer your question, I have a tremendous amount of faith in the data. Sometimes I'll say our data, but it's really not our data. We're taking data that's coming in historically for companies that gets vetted through the SEC and usually makes its way to our data vendor, which would be S&P Global. And for forward estimates, we're looking at Wall Street analyst estimates and we're taking consensus and putting in our model. So we have both historical data in our model and forward data in our model. So what we try to do is interpret that data so we can give individuals an instant characterization of how a data point looks for a company versus its sector. And we do that in a really user-friendly format, which people will find on the site. And when we take that data for, say, we're looking at valuation or growth or profitability, we sort of take a sum and it's quite easy for us to come up with a directional recommendation that would be a strong buy or a sell for a company based on that data. Talking to what you said, what, you know, where I wish I had my superpower was really to ignore the gyrations of the overall market because it could really you know, make you shudder to your core if you're seeing the market come down 5, 10, 15, 20%, and you're watching CNBC or Bloomberg at the same time and people are saying it's the end of the world. So my superpower would be to just ignore those individuals and you know keep investing based on the data that we see or the scores that we're generating because we're constantly assessing companies for where the best value is, where the best growth is. And a prime example would be when the pandemic started, as you know, the economy globally really started to fall apart. And what was super sensitive to that were energy stocks really fell apart. And you probably remember seeing articles or hearing people on TV saying that, you know, they're no longer charging for oil. They're giving it away for free because they don't have any storage. And when that was happening, the model that we have, and we show about 4,500 stocks throughout the United States and ADRs, and we rank every single one of them. All of a sudden, like coming to the top of the model were all these energy stocks. And I was like even shocked by that. But as I was looking at it, you could see based on the valuations for the companies, and then the analysts who were actually looking at these companies were putting in their estimates or revising these estimates. It actually looked like, you know, they were attractive 
on both evaluation and a growth standpoint. So when we were in coming out of 2021 and going into 2022, we had incredible performance at CT Alpha because so many energy stocks had been at the top of the model. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but in 2022, there was only one sector that ended up in the green. That was the energy sector. So, you know, again, it's just sort of going to and looking at the data and we are incorporating a futuristic element into it by bringing these Wall Street analyst ratings. Not the ratings, I want to say, their their earnings models and their revenue forecast and bring it into our numbers and looking at that consensus. So I would love to just have that superpower to look at our stocks, look at the recommendations that are being generated, look at the scores that we have on valuation and growth and probability, and just focus on chipping away at that and not paying attention to the overall market. Yeah, you know, it's understandable that we would all be served in a lot of ways with that superpower, but I feel like that is the biggest challenge for traders and investors is to really learn how to stay neutral in the midst of that information. And if you certainly saw, you know, paying attention to the news, some experiences with a Tesla that were not so positive recently and how attached, you know, some investors were to not wanting to talk about that. So I think it just happens. You get sort of attached to what you think a stock is going to do, and it's hard for you to perhaps be with some hard truths about it. So what do you as a quant do when that happens to you, yourself? Uh, well, yeah, a picture is worth a thousand words, and unfortunately, I, I can't really show our stock pages. But you know, what happens is... You know, when you look at our stock page, you'll see these academic letter grades that are color coded and you'll see it for value and you'll see it for profitability and you'll see it for growth. And if we're looking at a situation like Tesla, and there was actually a brief period where we had a strong buy at Tesla, the price was a lot lower. And I was like really psyched because there are very few times that the model will like it because the valuation is so extreme compared to the rest of its sector and industry. But going back to sort of Tesla, we had sort of that rare opportunity where we would have a strong buy on it. And then, of course, as the stock appreciated, the valuation became more expensive and that strong buy went down to a hold rate. So I want, let's say I'm kind of emotionally attached to Tesla. I want to continue to own the stock. I'm seeing this valuation of an F on it. So it's, you know, it's a little bit unnerving. But what I could do is we, I can click on valuation on our platform. And then it will show all the underlying metrics that make up that overall grade. So I'll be able to look at PE, I'll be able to look at PEG, I'll be able to look at price to sales. And hopefully if I really like it, I'll be able to find one of those grades that won't be an F or a D minus or a D and sort of make that justification. But if I can, and like every single metric out of the 15 valuation metrics that we have are just bright red. I'll have to say, you know what, maybe I should start looking at something else. And it kind of arms you, you know, with the data to make that important decision. Yeah, I think what impressed me the most is how much data is able to be absorbed on one screen. And that, to me, is just incredibly valuable because there is so much time and energy spent in having to go to multiple places and, you know, like you spoke to, put your own data set together. So have that all done for you. And it's like really a, a very powerful, robust thumbnail of everything you would really want to know about a stock. 
Yeah. So it's again, the beauty of the platform. And I think I said to you earlier, I hope I don't come across like I'm trying to sell the platform, but I can't help it because I'm so passionate about some of the tools that we created and that I created. And it just makes your life so much easier. And, you know, to sort of get these instant pictures right away on these metrics that are so important, it's to me, it's like a game changer. And whether you're an institutional investor or an individual retail investor, this data is right there and it's available and it's absolutely tremendous in helping you make your decisions. Yeah. It's an impressive site. I am I'm gonna be uh really just clear to everybody. I have to think become an affiliate for them because I'm so impressed with what I've seen there. And I hope you guys will check it out and we'll put a link in this podcast too where you can go use the link that I have to, you know, get you guys a little bit of a deal for trying it out. But I did just want to talk, Steve. And I would love to just include everybody in this conversation. We really would love to take your questions. If you do have a question now, please just raise your hand. And if you're enjoying this conversation, please retweet it out there so we can get more people in the room. We have a nice collection of people here. So please, if there's anybody here that wants to ask Steve a question, please just raise your hand. Austin, I'd love to get you into this conversation too. And you too, Dan, because I think the more to marry here, Austin, you have such a unique specialty with working as a millennial in this industry. Just, I'd love people to learn a little bit more about you if you're open telling us you have a fascinating story. Yeah, absolutely. Hey everyone, how's it going? And thank you all so very much for inviting me to this. And Stephen, I am a power user of the Seeking Alpha Quad Rating System. I am just super impressed with it. So hats off to you and, and everything that you all have done. I will say, though, that, yeah, so more about me. I'm 27. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a full-time content creator, mostly on TikTok. Funny enough, I make short-form videos about personal finance and investing. And sometimes, which has happened this week, those videos go crazy viral because of a Barbie movie premiere that's coming out <laughs> next week. I was talking about the Mattel stock trade and like you know what that kind of looks like. And it's just so interesting to be able to introduce investing and the idea of owning equity in a company that's, you know, a tangible part of your childhood, like we, we see that Barbie is, but to these people. But I also have a podcast called Rich Habits. It's number six on Spotify's business charts, hopefully top five in the coming weeks. Really excited about that. I'm a contributor on Seeking Alpha. I co-hosted the Stock Market Live podcast on a weekly basis with Daniel Snyder for about six months there during, I think it was like late last year. So power user of Seeking Alpha, and I'm just really excited to be in the conversation here. Now, Stephen, I would love to throw you a question if you don't mind. I'm looking at your recent post here talking about, you know, running of the bulls, three top growth stocks to buy. And I was looking at Opera, right? Opera Limited here. And I'm just curious from a quad perspective, do you have a sort of, you know, this specific factor grade is more important than, an, than maybe something different? Right. I see maybe valuation is a D versus an A plus with growth or an A plus with momentum with opera. And I, I'm just curious, like, as you think about the quant rating system, how do these factor grades sort of stack up against each other? Yeah, Austin, great question. And the stock is up 6% today. I just wrote about it yesterday. We're recommending it in the beginning of the year and the stock is up 420%. So with the stock being up 6%, the valuation grade on it is now a D. And I'm like pretty nervous that tomorrow it's going to be a D minus. And what that means is if it goes to D minus, the directional recommendation would default from strong buy or buy automatically to a hold. 
So we have a couple parameters set in here to really avoid situations where the valuations are just like too expensive. To answer your question, if you click on valuation, you'll be able to see a whole bunch of different metrics. So, you know, what I like to look at is PEG. And fortunately, not, we don't always have the long-term growth rates, so that PEG doesn't always show up. But usually where there's a stock that I really love and has a really awesome growth rate, the PEG ratio will save me on valuation. So where I might see like D across the board or even S, if that PEG ratio comes through like at a B or an A, I feel like it could still justify my experience in that stock. If it's a situation where all the grades are sort of like D or D minus or F, I just have to say to myself, it's getting too expensive. Fortunately with Opera, the price to book on both a trailing and forward basis, the grade is a B. So what does that mean? The B is a, a sector relative indication of how it compares to the sector. So I also provide the absolute data point. And you can see on a price to book basis, it's at about, it's at a discount of 31% to the sector. So I could say from a valuation standpoint, there, there's still a case where it looks attractive and on a price to cash flow basis, it's really in line with the sector. And on a dividend yield basis, it's sort of in line with the sector. So there are a couple of valuation metrics, Austin, that I can look at, which will help me make that justification. I love that. That was awesome, Stephen. And just want to, for the people listening right now who might not know what PEG means, I know it's the price to earnings to growth ratio, but do you mind maybe giving us the cliff notes on what exactly that is and why it's so important as to why you should include it when thinking about valuations? Yeah, I, I, just, I love that's really That's one of my favorite valuation metrics. So what it does is it combines the PE ratio with the growth rate of the company. And you know, one of the things that you could say from, if you're looking at like just PE or EV to sales or price to sales, it is a valuation metric, but it doesn't include growth. And if a company just has like tremendous growth, I kind of want a ratio where I can combine value and growth together. And that's what the PEG ratio does. And that's why I'm a huge, huge fan of it because it provides a picture that just, you know, marries together growth with valuation and it's its own valuation metric. Got it. Love it. Great stuff, man. And yeah, this is such a cool conversation as it relates to the quad system and it's everything that you guys have done so, so very well at Seeking Alpha. So turning it back over to you, Kim. Thank you so much, Austin. I'm so glad you asked that question. Daniel, if you're game, Daniel is a content producer at Seeking Alpha, and he's been a host of a lot of podcasts and webinars for them. I'd love you to just tell us a little bit about your background if you're open to it, and glad you're here. Yeah, no problem, Kim. So yeah, I am a self-taught investor. I actually come from the entertainment industry. I used to live in LA, did that for a while before moving more into the investing world. But I think the one question I have for Steve that I think is very on the tip of everyone's tongue right now is tomorrow is earnings season. And Steve, I know you and I have worked together a while and we've seen beautiful call outs by the Quant system in regards to companies like DocuSign, high risk companies in the past. How can people that are using Seeking Alpha look towards the Quant system this earnings season? Yeah, so Dale, one of the, we have five core factors that we look at for companies and when you dig into the core factors, there's a lot of underlying metrics. One of the core factors outside of value, growth, and profitability, which are the traditional ones, 
is one called revisions. And the revisions one is the only one that doesn't have underlying metric. It's something that we develop and what we look at is the number of analysts that are actually taking their estimates up or down. And what I really love about that is when we get into earnings season, I examine it to see where it stands now versus where it was. So if I take a look at the EPS, that revision score now, say for Opera Limited, the grade is a B. If I looked at it six months ago, it was C. So it tells me that actually adults are becoming more positive about this company. And again, our numbers are updated every single day. So I know that B revisions grade is fairly fresh and that adults are more positive now on the stock than they were six months ago in regards to their, their earnings. So uh, awesome. That's another one of the uh, metrics that we have that I love. It's, it doesn't come under valuation, but I love looking at that revisions metric, especially as we go into earnings season. I think one of the things that really makes that stand out is you could have Wall Street analysts who will have a buy rating on a stock, yet they'll be taking their earnings estimates down. So one of the things that we do not have to worry about is investment banking or block trades. So we have these, this great ability to look at what analysts are really doing with their earnings models, and they like to get those earning models right, but often what they're doing with their earnings estimates can be very different than what they're actually saying. So they may say one story, they may say, you gotta be buying this stock, and that's because they wanna do a roadshow with the company or they wanna do investment banking, but when it comes down to their earnings estimates, they like to be as accurate with that as possible, and we're sort of crowdsourcing those earnings estimates, and that's how we create our revisions grade. So I love looking at that going into earnings season. Now, I just want to jump in here for a second to clarify. When you say earnings estimates, are you talking about revenue and EPS or other specific line items on any of the different financial statements? Yeah, so a great question. So in terms of that factor score, we're just looking at the EPS revision. So the grade will show you for the fiscal year, and if you were on our platform and you clicked on it, it would show you in the last 90 days, the number of analysts, the actual quantity of analysts that took their estimates up or down, and then it will show you a percentage, and then it will show the sector percentage as well. And again, it's always sector relative. So we're looking at that EPS revisions for the, over the last 90 days for the fiscal year. What we also do is we don't provide a grade for it, but on that same page, if you click on it, you'll see it for the quarter as well. So you'll be able to see how many analysts for the quarter took their estimates up or down in the last 90 days. And it's just a really you know unique feature that you have on the CK Alpha platform. And again, when you're looking at the grade, it's giving you sort of that instant characterization of what analysts are doing right now. Or in this case, it'll be over the course of the last 90 days. But that last 90 days in total is an important measurement. I love it. And not to jump in and cut off Daniel here, but I have one more follow-up question for you, Steve, is as you know, we've been talking about the strong buy companies, right? The companies who are profitable and growing and the revisions are looking good, but you also have a strong sell quant rating, right? So yeah. could you maybe walk us through specifically what constitutes, you know, what's really happening behind the scenes with the quant system to make them say, wait a second, red flags, this is a, now a strong sell. Yeah, so the sells are just as valuable as the buys from two standpoints. One, if you own that stock, there's a strong sell recommendation on it. 
you're actually going to be getting notifications that there's a high probability that the stock can perform poorly. And the stocks that tend to have the sales are, you know, where the growth grade is a D and the valuation, you know, could be a D and the profitability could be a D or F and the EPS revision, you know, they're all getting these scores in the negative domain. And you, when you pull up the stock, if you see one of those warnings on it, it will actually have a warning banner. And when you click on the warning banner, it will show you going back over a 13 year period, what the performance is for our strong cells and our cells versus the overall market. And you can see like, okay, I really have to pay attention to this. So that's one way of looking at it. If you own one of these stocks, it will give you that kind of warning. If you're a hedge fund, you know, it's going to give you a great list of stocks that you could be shorting on fundamentals and it gets refreshed every single day. So, you know, it's a fantastic tool, one, to avoid potential pitfalls or danger. And, you know, it's all about, you know, making money, but it's also about avoiding risk and avoiding those stocks that carry a lot of risk with it and, you know, not getting caught up in a loser. And part of what the system does is it separates the winners from the losers. And that's why you want to pay attention to the stocks that have the cells or the strong cells on it. We okay. really want to answer your questions. And I'm so glad you're asking good questions. Austin, did you have to have a question there? I did. I'm sorry. I just wanted to jump in last one more time here as I'm like, I mean, I've got the man here. I'm asking, I mean, I'm a power user, right? So my last question is ETFs, right? ETFs are completely different than, you know, the specific factor grades that go into your single stocks. There's no revisions. There's no, you know, EPS. So I'm seeing dividends, risk, liquidity, expenses, and momentum. Do you mind walking us through a little bit of like what that exactly means as it relates to the quant ratings with ETFs? Yeah, so you know, me measuring ETFs is very different than measuring stocks. Uh, we also we have factor grades on REITs as well, and REITs are you know real estate is a gig sector. It's really the only sector that I totally strip out of the eleven gig sectors that we assess on its own because the metrics for the sector are so completely different than you know, whether you're looking at consumer discretionary or consumer staples or technology. Or financials so we have different metrics that we assess for the REIT sector and the same is true for the ETFs you know in ETFs you have to look at expenses so you're looking at expense ratios and you're looking at the bid ask spread there's also risk that you have to look at now there is risk with stocks as well and we do in our algo consider risk metrics but in terms of ETFs we're looking at standard deviation, we're looking at short interest, we're looking at annualized volatility, we're looking at turnover, we're looking at track record. So these are different metrics than you would have for regular stocks. And there's a high amount of predictability that gets assigned to these factor grades. The most important factor grade for ETFs, whether you want to hear it or not, is momentum. And that's something that actually carries forward for stocks. If I were to go back over 200 years, and I would assess every financial metric that is out there consistently over a 200 year period, momentum would be the most important factor in terms of stock price predictability. The same is true in the ETF world, but even more so. Momentum is a really important factor when looking at ETFs. Now momentum, from my perspective, it gets spread over different time periods. Some people may just look at one month momentum or they look at one year. We actually, for both our stocks and for the ETFs, we use a blended momentum that looks at one month, six months, one year, 
three year and five year. So we're sort of, we have a blended momentum grade that we look at. I will tell you that it's not equal weighted when we're looking at those different time periods. Some of the weights have greater predictability than others. And unfortunately, that's something that I don't double. Sounds good. Thank you so much for answering my question. Sure. Thank you, Austin, for having such great questions. Just wanting to let everybody know that we're speaking right now to Stephen Kress. He's the head of quantitative strategies at Seeking Alpha, the world's largest investing community. I am Cameron Curtin, the Wall Street coach. I have the only trading Discord room dedicated to mindset called TraderHeroJourney.com. I also host the Wall Street Coach podcast and do these Twitter spaces. And this is a part two conversation with Stephen today. And the full part, which is the first part showing him walking us through a lot of what Seeking Alpha can do, is going to be released in two weeks where we'll have this part and the first part brought together. If you guys have questions, please raise your hand so you can just ask Stephen directly here. We also have Austin and we also have Daniel here under the Seeking Alpha brand. If you guys have questions, just raise your hand. Daniel, why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, what you see with regards to the market and where it is now. I know you do a lot of different podcasts for Seeking Alpha. Why don't you just give share with us some of your thoughts about, you know, whether we have a bull market, if it's going to see a certain 2024, what's your take on all that's going about? I'll tell you, I just follow the data. Right. So as we've been talking about with the quant system, it's very easy for me to just take a step back. And as you talked about probably probably a lot, the psychological aspect of investing in the market and all the news you always see across the wires. So it's nice. I mean, it sounds like I'm pitching you here because I'm underneath the brand name. But really, when you step back and just look at the data and the quant system with the removing the human bias out of everything and listening to the different perspectives. You kind of just get the sense of, okay, follow the data, follow what's true, see what's happening with the price action. And that's all I really think about. And as Steve mentioned, I mean, the top stock screeners really sets up everything perfect, lays it all out. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and give everybody investment advice when it's all very clear just right there on the platform. But I will say if you go and try it out and you can look at all the analysts that write for Seeking Alpha as well. I mean, we had the bullish side, we had the bearish side. And I think that's what's really powerful about the platform is you not only have the technology, but you have the community and you can engage in the comments and just ask people questions and challenge their perspective, which might change yours. So that's, I know I'm kind of beating around the bush here, but you know, I like the market. It's about the market is very liquid and I'll take the stance of Powell and say it's very sound. Yeah. So Dan, when you come into Seeking Alpha, where do you go first? What's your kind of, what's your relationship to using it just so we have a sense for the traders and investors who are listening to us how is it that you incorporated it into your data tip yeah i think the most well not the most powerful but a really powerful feature of seeking alpha is the portfolio so we have the ability for you to link your brokerage accounts whether it's one two three five seven from all different brokerages and when you link that you not only get updates daily to your email inbox of like we're talking about the quant rating system, right? There's days that it upgrades stocks, there's days that it downgrades. And so you get those updates every single morning before the market opens. I mean, that is one way I always stay connected with it. And then the portfolio, I mean, it's just like you can create custom views to where you can track certain metrics in regards to a growth portfolio versus a dividend income portfolio. So there's a lot of functionality 
And then once you customize the view and link your portfolio, the site really adapts to what you're looking for based off of your holdings. So when new analysts publish papers or articles, those go directly to your inbox. You get to see the newest stuff coming out, seeing maybe you have an analyst that you really like to follow. And they were like, hey, I have a strong buy on the stock, but now I have a hold because of XYZ. You'll want to know that right away. And it's all designed perfectly just to flow seamlessly to your inbox. So you're always connected. We also do push notifications via mobile. So you're always there. You're always connected. It's always, you know, right, relevant. The news team as well. They're always making sure that you get the relevant breaking news information on whatever stock and holding you have. So there's just a lot of functionality. I use it in plenty of different ways. You know, I'm younger, so I focus a lot more on growth, but we also have a lot of dividend fixed income investors or reinvestors, and the site can actually be tailored to all of those as well. That's terrific. I'm going to just ask again, if, there, if there's anybody in the room who wants to ask a question, please raise your hand, but we're going to probably wrap this up. Steve, I'm going to just ask that you unmute your microphone. Is, is there, do you have any kind of last words towards, you know, what you would say by way of just your wisdom and experience to be in the market this over 30 years, what do you want to say to traders and investors now considering the environment that everybody's in? I think I would say to investors, you know, just keep chipping away, be disciplined every month. You know, don't always put all your eggs in one basket, but don't freeze and be a deer with ad lights either. So try to find that discipline process as an investor so you can uh, continue to add stocks and, you know, have a, a nice, healthy portfolio. You may want to have a manageable size. So you may choose to have 30 to 50 stocks in your portfolio at any time. A lot of people might consider that too much. To me, you know, it really sort of optimizes the diversification aspect and minimizes risk. Look, if you own the ETF, the S&P 500 SPY, that's 500 stocks. So, you know, certainly if you have the ability to have favorite names and you want to be an active investor and make it fun, you know, you could go, you know, anywhere between 30 and 50 stocks in your portfolio. But, you know, have that process where you eliminate the ones that have the lower scores and continue to add to the ones that have the better scores or new ones that come up. You're a trader. You might look at this as a, from a different perspective. You're not necessarily going to say keep chipping away at it, you know, every day because that's their job day in and day out. I would say as a trader, look at the model and look at what's at the top of the screen. You know, check out what are the top 20 stocks of the screen and try to keep your finger on the pulse of that activity because you'll always find great names. And sometimes you'll find sectors that are really emerging as we did, you know, back in late 2021 with the energy stocks into well into 2022. Uh, happened. If I take a look at it now at the top 20 stocks, I'm seeing an overwhelming amount of airline stocks and airline service stocks come into the top 20 or the top 50 even. And it's really like kind of interesting to be there at that period where you see tremendous growth rates and you see incredible values at the same time. And people always say, oh, the stock has run up 20%, 50%, 100%. You know, it's too late. Don't be afraid of that. I will tell you, if you had to pick a basket of 20 stocks that were trading near a 52-week high or a basket of 20 stocks trading at a 52-week low, you would be far better off picking the stocks that are near a 52-week high. There's a reason that they're hitting 52-week lows. Something is going wrong with those companies or something is going wrong with the sectors that they're in, maybe from a regulatory standpoint, 
But pay attention to the stocks that are doing well. There's a reason that they're doing well. Don't be afraid of those price gains. So as a trader, I'd say, yeah, focus on what's at the top of the screen and don't be afraid of the moves that the stocks are made. It's awesome. Steve, thank you so much. This podcast with this and part one, which was done by Zoom, where Steve walked us through the platform will release in about two weeks on the Wall Street Coach podcast. Hope you guys will subscribe to that and come back and listen because you don't want to miss what he had to say in that first part. Thank you, Steve, for agreeing to do this conversation and for your patience and walking me through the site when you first gave me a tour. I also want to thank you, Austin, so much for being part of this conversation and you too, Daniel. You guys asked some really great questions and I hope all of you will come back for future Twitter spaces. I do these probably two to three times a month and I hope you'll take a follow for TraderHeroJourney.com. See if you think it's your cup of tea. We'll release this in two weeks. You guys have a terrific day. Steve, thank you again. And I'm going to say aloha and aloha for now. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.